Well, good morning, Hope in Christ. Good to be back in the Lord's house. Can I get an amen? Amen. Daryl and I were talking earlier. Um, it feels like it's been a month of Sundays since we've gathered together like this, and, uh, and most likely it has been about a month, hasn't it, from the time we've actually gathered. And, and just please know that we uh, tremendously, tremendously miss you guys when we can't get together like we uh like we're supposed to like we're supposed to how many of y'all like gathering together to worship the lord say amen amen i thought you might say that turn to daniel chapter 4 this morning if you will daniel chapter 4 we are in a series we're in a series uh called unshakable uh, don't you think that we're living in an hour that we need to know that our faith is unshakable in Almighty God. No matter what hits you, unshakable, no matter what hits you. Last week we talked about when the heat is on, when the heat is on. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about when God tests you with success, when God tests you with success. Take out your listening guides, if you will. If you don't have a listening guide and you need one, if you'll raise your hand, we'll get one to you. We got a few. Marvin will, Marvin's coming to the rescue. Marvin's coming to the rescue. Yeah, take out your listening guides and follow along. We, uh, we produce these each week for your benefit. Uh, I, I learned a long, long time ago, people learn in different ways. People learn in different ways. Uh, some folks learn simply by hearing. They hear and they receive what they hear and they process what they hear and, and, they, and they run with it. Other people uh, see. They learn better when they see. So we produce these listening guides so you can listen, so you can take notes, so you can write it down. But even more than that, it's something you can take home with you and you can continue to study the rest of the week based upon what we're giving you on the Lord's Day. Because if the only time you're taking in God's Word is on Sunday morning, you're starving to death spiritually. You really are. You really are. And I hope and pray that you're reading God's Word daily, you're studying God's Word daily, you're memorizing it, you're meditating upon it, because God's people thrive. We thrive. We grow. We, we, we arrive at spiritual maturity when we spend lots and lots of time with God in prayer, in Bible study, taking in His Word. Unshakable, thriving, no matter what hits you. So the past five weeks, what we've been doing, we're in this series about uh, ten common tests that comes to all of God's people. Ten common tests. Now there's not just ten, but in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel we're highlighting ten tests that God's people face all throughout life. Now, these tests, again, are covered here in the book of Daniel. Eight of the tests that uh, we're going to look at or have looked at, eight of these tests are tests that uh, Daniel himself goes through. Last week, we looked at a test that uh, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went through the fiery furnace trial, didn't they? How many of you all have ever been in the fiery furnace? Say amen. Amen. We spend lots of times in fiery furnaces. How many of y'all found that God was right there with you when you was in the midst of the fiery furnace? 
And how many times has God delivered you from the fiery furnace? Every single time, every single time, He is, he is a delivering God. So eight tests that, we've, that we're looking at are tests that Daniel goes through. One of them we looked at last week when the heat is on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. And one of the tests we find here in the book of Daniel is a test that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had to go through, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and as I've said repeatedly in these messages, before there's a blessing, there's always a testing. Can you say that back to me? Before there's a blessing, there's always a testing. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I hope you do. God always tests us before He blesses us. Why, did God do, why does God do that? God wants to know we're ready for what He's about to bring into our life. God wants to know that we're ready to be blessed, so He tests us to know how we're going to handle the blessing that He's about to pour into our life. This, this is a principle that's taught all throughout the Bible. Uh, Jesus explains this principle in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 12. Jesus says, suppose you can be trusted with something very little. Then you can also be trusted with something very large. But suppose you are not honest with something very little, then you will also not be honest with something very large. So this morning we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at when God tests you with success. When God tests you with, with success, you say, well, now wait a minute. I, I know that stress is a test. I know that suffering is a test, but are you saying that success is a test? I'm saying success is a test. I'm not saying success is a test. The Word of God is saying that success is a test. It's a test we must pass over and over and over again. Having been a pastor now for over 25 years, let me say this. I've seen more people ruined by success than I have with suffering. I've seen far more people fall flat of their face because they reached a level of success that they weren't ready for versus people who are going through times of suffering. You say, Steve, why is that? Because when we suffer, we, turn, we, we tend to run straight to God. When we're suffering, we, we tend to run to God. But when we're blessed with success, we tend to forget about God. When things are going well, financially well, marriage is going well, job is going well, career is going well, life is going well, who needs God? Me. But you'd agree that in times of great success, in our human minds and in the way that we think, in the way that we get wrapped up in the world and get wrapped up in success, we tend to forget about God when things are going wonderful. We tend to believe that we need God the most when we've fallen flat of our face. That's just human nature, isn't it? Proverbs 27 and verse 21. A hot furnace tests silver and gold, but people are tested by the praises they receive. Did you know every time you receive a compliment, you're being tested? Every time you receive a compliment, 
you're being tested. Human beings are the only creatures that God made that when you pat them on the back, their head swells up. You ever watch those Animal Kingdom shows? You know, there's some weird things out there that God made. Can you just picture it in your mind? You, you walk up to a human being and you pat them on the back and what happens? Poof! Head swells up, doesn't it? Why is that? Why is that? Let's talk about the dangers of arrogance this morning. Let's talk about the danger of ego. Let's, let's talk about the dangers of pride. When you're successful, because when God begins to test us with success, sometimes we forget all about God. Daniel chapter 4 tells how that King Nebuchadnezzar basically literally loses everything because of arrogance, but because of ego, because of his pride. Again, 2,500 years ago, King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful, the most successful man on the entire planet. The most successful, most popular, most feared man on planet Earth. His father before him was king of Babylon. So he comes from a royal family. And during his father's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar, he served as a young general in his father's army. And he basically single-handedly defeated the Syrian army of the day. And during King Nebuchadnezzar's father's reign, Babylon was not the most, uh, was not the most powerful nation on the planet. The Assyrian nation was the most powerful uh, people on the planet. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is leading the charge in the war of Babylon against uh, the Assyrians. And guess who wins? King Nebuchadnezzar wins. He's the king's young general. He's the king's young son. So he returns home to Babylon after conquering the Assyrian army. And he's a rock star. He's a rock star. He's known by everybody. Well, in time, his father dies and King Nebuchadnezzar succeeds his father as the emperor of Babylon. And as he begins to reign, the kingdom just continues to be blessed and the kingdom just continues to grow by leaps and bounds. Everybody fears King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the most powerful man on the planet. He built the most beautiful city in all the world. It was known as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He built that garden for his wife. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But in all of Nebuchadnezzar's success, he had a really big problem. He was kind of struck with himself. He was kind of struck on himself. He had become very prideful. He had become very self-centered and self-absorbed. He was arrogant. He was full of pride. He was a narcissist. So today we're going to pick up his story. He's in his 50s now. Anybody relate to that? He's in his 50s now. He's a very powerful man. And one night he's beginning to fall asleep and he has a very bizarre dream. Has a very bizarre dream, a very disturbing dream. Now, if you'll remember, 32 years earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and, and none of his magicians, none of his cultic leaders uh, could tell him what the dream was, and because they couldn't tell him what the dream was, they couldn't interpret the dream for him either. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar sends for Daniel, and Daniel, by God's grace and by the leadership of God, Daniel is able to find out from God what the dream was, and not only was he able to find out what the dream was, he was able to interpret the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar remembers this. So he has this very disturbing dream, and the next morning he says, Hey, get Daniel down here. Daniel knows how to interpret dreams. Again, this is 32 years after his first dream. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. So he says, Daniel, hey, I've had another weird, bizarre dream, and I need to know what this dream is about. Can you tell me what it means? And Daniel says, well, king, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But there's some troubling times coming your way. Matter of fact, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what's taking place. God is fed up with your arrogance. God is fed up with your ego. God is fed up with your pride. He said, I hope you know that everything that you have is because God has allowed you to obtain it. Your kingship is because God promoted you to kingship. Your kingdom is growing and expanding because God is allowing your kingdom to grow and expand. You're a very feared man because God has put you where you are and God has given you everything that you have. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you, you remember a few years back you built that 90-foot statue to yourself and you demanded everybody bow down and worship that statue. Basically what you were saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, was Everybody bow down and worship me. King Nebuchadnezzar, that's what you were saying. He said, you remember how God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And at the end of that trial that they had to go through, don't you remember that you declared to the entire nation, there's only one true God. You said that one true God is not me, King Nebuchadnezzar, but it's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. Do you remember that, King Nebuchadnezzar? But guess what, King? You forgot all of that. You forgot all that, and for the past 30-plus years, you've not served God. You've not honored God. You've been serving yourself. So, King Nebuchadnezzar, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but guess what? Your time is just about up because God is fed up. He's given you all these opportunities. And because you've not humbled yourself and you haven't depended upon God, God is going to remove you from your kingship. God is going to humble you. God's going to remove you as the most powerful king in all of the earth. And not only are you going to lose your kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to lose your sanity. You're going to go insane so much that they're going to kick you out of the palace. And you're going to live like a wild animal out in the desert. Your hair is going to grow long. It's going to become matted because nobody's going to be caring for you and you're not going to be able to care for yourself. Your fingernails are going to grow out long like claws. You're going to become a wild animal, an insane creature, and you're going to be kicked out of the kingdom and you're going to be living in the desert. You're going to live like an animal because you're going to lose your sanity for a period of time. But, 
But King Nebuchadnezzar, if you'll wise up, if you'll look up, if you'll humble yourself, you can avoid everything that I've just told you. That dream will just be a, a nightmare you have. But King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to do some repenting. You're going to have to allow God to be God. You're going to have to start honoring God with your success. And if you'll do this, you can avoid the fall. So guess what King Nebuchadnezzar does with all this? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. He has a dream. Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream, and he immediately forgets about it. He just dismisses it, just dismisses it. He goes on his way, still living the ego trip. He's still making life all about King Nebuchadnezzar, still making all of life about King Nebuchadnezzar. So he loses everything. The most powerful, the most influential man in the world ends up losing his mind, going insane, becoming homeless out in the desert. But Daniel said, if you'll start honoring God, you can avoid all of this, King Nebuchadnezzar. But what did King Nebuchadnezzar do? He failed the test of success. He fails the test of success. Let me say this. Everybody in this room, everybody watching by Facebook and YouTube, everybody watching by whatever means. Let me just say this to you this morning. You too can be expected to be tested in whatever amount of success you have in life. Mark it down. Whatever level of success you obtain in this life, you will be tested. And if you pass the test, you get more. But if you fail the test, you get less. You get less. Jesus said this all throughout Scripture. So what I want us to do today is I want us to look into this story in Daniel chapter 4. And in doing so, I want to give you three questions to think about. Three questions to think about. Number one, what gets people into trouble when they start succeeding in life? When people start taking off, when people start reaching levels of success, what is it that gets people into trouble when they start succeeding in life? You see successful people falling by the wayside all the time, don't you? And why is that? Why is that? Whether it's financially, relationally, mentally, socially, spiritually, what gets us trapped and what causes us to get into trouble when we succeed? Number two, what are the steps to recovery after you have failed? Let me say this. Has anybody in this room ever gone through a failure? What do you do on the other side of the failure? you got to get up again, don't you? There are steps to recovery after you have failed. What King Nebuchadnezzar did is what I need to do and what you need to do each and every time we fall flat of our face. And number three... What are the things I need to remember about God that will stabilize me? Stay stabilized. What are the things that I need to remember about God, about Almighty God? What are the things I need to know and remember about God that will stabilize me whether I'm going through success or whether I'm going through suffering? 
What is that stabilizing factor about Almighty God? As we'll see, Nebuchadnezzar learns four things. King Nebuchadnezzar learns four things that we need to learn too. We need to memorize these things. We need to hold these things dear to our hearts. Whether we're going through bad times, whether we're going through good times, these four things will stabilize your life. You've heard people say, you know, it's, it's, it's wise to learn from experience. And I would agree with that, wouldn't you? It's wise to learn from experience. But we don't have enough time to make all the mistakes ourselves. So while it is wise to learn from experience, it's even wiser to learn from the experience of others, those that have come before us, those that are going through it at the same time we are. Yes, God is going to allow you to make mistakes, and God is going to allow you to experience a lot of things in life, but we would be foolish to ignore those that have done come before us. We would be foolish to ignore those things, wouldn't we? That's one of the reasons we have this book. This book is a book of failures and a book of rescues. It's a book that teaches us about God's faithfulness in all circumstances when we look to Him, when we love Him supremely, when we trust in Him with all of our heart and we don't lean upon our own understanding. In Hope 200, which we'll resume this afternoon, if everybody's taking Hope 200 right now, we'll resume that this afternoon at 3 p.m., but in Hope 200, when we're talking about how to learn how to study the Bible, we use an acrostic called Space Pets. You say, boy, that's weird. Yeah, it makes you remember it. If you ever hear Space Pets, you'll remember Space Pets. And Space Pets is just an acrostic. It applies to every single verse in the Bible. You might want to write that down, Space Pets. If you've taken 200, you, you, you remember that. If you're in 200, we're learning that right now. But what, what is Space Pets? Well, again, it's just an acrostic. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an error to avoid? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there a truth to believe or something to thank God for? So you take the first letter of space pass, and you can take any verse of the Bible, and you can come through that verse and find out what that verse is trying to say to you. Wonderful way to study God's Word. So today, this message is all about an error to avoid. Let's learn a valuable lesson from the king of Nebuchadnezzar so that we don't fall into the same trap and make the same mistakes. Anybody in here just waiting to lose your mind and live like an animal out in the desert? Well, I'm going to tell you how to, today how to avoid that, okay? I'm going to tell you how to avoid that today. So, there's three causes of Nebuchadnezzar's breakdown in his fall. Three causes of Nebuchadnezzar's breakdown and fall. Number one, we get into trouble because we get comfortable and we get complacent with success. We get comfortable and we get complacent with success. This happens to all of us. No one is immune. No one is immune. When things are going good, you get comfortable. When things are going good, you get complacent. In verse 4 of chapter 4, listen to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was enjoying a time of peace and prosperity in my kingdom and in my palace. I was taking it easy without a care in the world. Well, I'd love to be able to say that today, wouldn't you? 
Wouldn't you love to say, hey, I'm, I'm enjoying a time of peace. I'm enjoying a time of prosperity. I'm just taking it easy. I don't have a care in the world. Anybody going through that right now? I was about to say shame on you. Shame on you for having it that good and not sharing it with the rest of us. But that's where King Nebuchadnezzar was. Does that sound like somebody who's praying fervently every day? Does that sound like somebody that's chasing after God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength? No, that sounds like somebody who has reached a level of success, and that level of success has caused him to become complacent, caused him to become comfortable. There's no doubt in my mind that we all pray more when we're in pain. Would you agree with that? When we're in pain, we, we pray prayers like this, Oh, God, I need you right now. I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar was praying that prayer, do you? No, he's kicked back in the palace. He's taking it easy. He's comfortable. He's complacent. When things are going great, here's what we say, Hey, let's go to the lake. Hey, let's go rent a cabin up in the woods. Let's go four-wheeling. Let's go bike riding. Let's just, let's not worry too much about serving God right now. Let's, let's kick back and take it easy. Let's, let's be comfortable. Let's, in, let's enjoy this time. You're not even thinking about God when things are going good. You're really not. It's pleasure that pulls us away from God. It's pleasure that pulls us away from God. In the good times when pride creeps in, what do we do? We forget all about God. We forget about God. I want you to notice all the personal pronouns in this next verse. In, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, would you count these up with me as I read it? I said to myself, just look at this great city of Babylon that I have created. I, by my own mighty power, have built this beautiful city for my glory. I built it to show my power, to show my might, to show my majesty and my glory. That's one of the most humble declarations I've ever heard in all my life. King Nebuchadnezzar had a T-shirt printed up and he wore it every day and he handed that one out to everybody in the kingdom and said, hey, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. You believe that? Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was living life in such a way that it was all about King Nebuchadnezzar. Things are going well. He's comfortable. He's complacent. Listen to Proverbs 16 and 5. Proverbs 16 and 5 says, The Lord despises pride. Say that with me right now. The Lord despises pride. You can be sure that the proud will be punished. You think God's joking there? You think God's just messing around? You think God's just saying that for the fun of it? No, I believe God means it with all his heart, don't you? I believe this entire book, God says what he means and means what he says. Proverbs, the wisdom book, says the Lord despises pride. You can be sure the proud will be punished. So what do we need? We need grace. We need grace to change. We need grace to live a life of humility. 
We need grace not to become comfortable. We need grace not to become complacent. Our arms are too short to box with God. Our arms are far too short to box with God. God's going to win every time. And God tells us here, I hate pride. So we get comfortable. We, we get complacent with success. Then the second thing we find in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, one of his great mistakes is this. We don't pay attention to the warning signs. We don't pay attention to the warning signs. Often in our own life when things are going well, there may be warning signs, but we're not paying attention. We're not paying attention. God clearly warns King Nebuchadnezzar. Had God wanted to, he could have just removed him from office, but God is showing him grace. God is showing him mercy. God cared enough about this king to warn him ahead of time, didn't he? And God warns us. God warns us. When we're enjoying success, when life is going good, when we start forgetting about God, God is the one that shows up and reminds us, hey, you are where you are by my grace and by you're enjoying life right now because I'm blessing you. Hey, look up here. Look up here, God says. He gives him a dream. He allows Daniel to interpret the dream. Daniel says this is going to happen. But king, you can avoid it. King, here's your sign. King, here's your warning sign. You can avoid this massive fall. You, you, can, you can avoid this embarrassing experience if you'll just humble yourself. If you'll just humble yourself. If you'll just honor God. If you'll just stop forgetting where all of the good things in your life is coming from, King Nebuchadnezzar. You can, you can avoid all this. You can do the right thing. Let me ask you a question this morning. Here's a question for you. This is not a question for the person on your left or right or in front of you or behind you. This is a question for you. What are the warning signs in your life when you're heading in the wrong direction? Because God puts them there. And He puts them there because He loves you. And He cares about you greatly. What are the warning signs in your life, when you're headed in the wrong direction, do you even know what the warning signs are? Let me give you a couple of examples. Conflict. Conflict is a warning sign. Conflict is a warning sign. If you're having conflict in a relationship, that's a sign that things aren't going the way they ought to go. Chaos. Chaos is a clear warning sign that things aren't going the way God wants them to go in your life. Confusion. Confusion. You ever been in the place in life and you just start looking around and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a clue what I ought to be doing right now. I just feel lost. I just feel bewildered. That's a sign that you're not going in the right direction. Temptation. Temptation is a warning sign. God warned Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose it all. You're about to lose it all. You're very successful. You're the most powerful and influential and successful man on planet Earth. 
And you're going to lose it all if you don't change. So Daniel, under the leadership of Almighty God, Daniel tells the king, King, you need to do two things. Two very, very simple things. King, if you'll do these two things, you can avoid everything that God has said is about to happen to you. Pay attention to this, folks. Verse 27, Daniel says, here is what you should do. Repent of your sins. Repent. Repent of your sins and start doing what is right. A lot of people have in their minds and in their hearts, either through false teaching or or just being ignorant of what the Word of God truly teaches, a lot of people have in their thinking, a lot of people have in their minds that repentance is a one-time act that, that takes you from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you repent one time and one time only, and then all of life is going to be wonderful for you. And that's simply not true. Salvation begins with repentance and continues with a life of repentance. Can I get an amen? Here's what you should do, King Nebuchadnezzar. Repent of your sins and start doing what is right. Then begin to show merciful kindness to the poor and oppressed. Then God will allow you to keep prospering. You will maintain your success. You need to do these two things, King. First, he says, repent. We've talked a lot about repentance here lately, haven't we? We have. Repentance means to change your mind. Repentance means to change your attitude. Repentance means to change your thinking. The word repent in the Greek is metanoia, metanoia. You slice that word in half. Meta means change. Noia means mind. Super simple. Repent, metanoia. Change your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind. What does that mean? Well, I used to think about my life this way. Now I think about my life this way. I used to think about God this way. Now I think about God this way. I used to think about the Lord Jesus Christ this way. Now I think about the Lord Jesus Christ this way. It's changing directions. It's changing directions. It's changing your mind. That's what repent means. I've, I've been thinking that this is all about me. It's all about me. Get all I can. Can all I get. And sit on the can. It's all about me. The Bible says repent. The Bible says change your mind. The Bible says it's all about God. It's all about, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's all about the Holy Spirit. It, it's all about the kingdom of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. Repent. The Bible says repent. The Bible says change your mind. Humble yourself in the sight of Almighty God, and he will lift you up. 
Well, how high will he lift me as high as he wants you to go? When will he promote me when he decides you need to be promoted? Humble yourself before Almighty God and trust God with all of your life. Humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. It's a choice you make or you don't make. It's something you choose to do yourself. Nowhere in this sacred book, not one time in this book, are we instructed to pray and ask God to humble us. It's not there. We're not instructed to pray for humility. We're instructed to humble ourselves. It's a choice we make. It's something you choose to do yourself. The Bible says humble yourself. Humility is not humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking less about yourself. That makes sense. A lot of people think humility means I have to walk around saying, I'm no good. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm just a pile of junk. That's not humility. You're not a pile of junk. Can I get an amen? Jesus didn't die for a pile of junk. Look at the cross. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you'll find your value. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you'll see how much you're valued. But at the same time, as much as you're valued, you and I are flawed. We are deeply, deeply flawed. We're broken. We, we, have, we have lots of weaknesses. We make many mistakes. We commit lots and lots of sins. Both are true. We are very deeply flawed, but we are very deeply loved by Almighty God. So much that He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Humility is simply having a realistic estimate of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. It's not putting yourself down. It's thinking about others first. It's getting the focus off of you. If, if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to flourish in the times we're in today, we're going to have to stop making it all about us and make it all about God and all about others. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to repent. You need to humble yourself. And while you're at it, there's something else you need to do. There's a second thing you need to do, King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, if you're gonna, if you're gonna avoid all of this, if you're gonna if you're gonna avoid losing your mind and being kicked out of the palace and living like a wild animal out in the desert, there's something else you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to repent, you're gonna have to change your mind, you're gonna humble yourself before God, and you're gonna have to serve the poor. You're going to have to serve the poor. Now, why in the world would God tell the most powerful man in the world to serve the poor? Why would he do that? Because as you serve the poor, the focus goes off of you and goes on to others. 
A lot of people think the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, a lot of Christians believe with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, a lot of church attenders believe the first and greatest commandment in all of Scripture is this, love yourself with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They do. You say, Brother Steve, I don't believe that. Are you blind? Are you that blind? The modern-day church is a very selfish church because the modern-day Christian is a very selfish person. Secondly, when you care for the poor, it keeps you in touch with reality. Here in America, we live in a bubble. We live in a bubble. We don't realize how blessed we are. But Steve, have you not watched the news lately? I have. We're still very, very blessed. We are still very, very blessed. The most blessed nation on the planet. We are the wealthiest nation on the planet. If you have any amount of money in your pocket right now, if you've, got a, if you've got a little ashtray full of coins, if you've got a coin jar at home, you're wealthier than 90% of everybody else on the planet. If you have a refrigerator at home with food in it, you're wealthier than 50% of everybody else on the planet today. Just trying to put it in perspective for you. Most people around the world would love to be poor in America. Would love to have the opportunity to be poor in America. Everybody in America is rich. In comparison to everybody else on the planet, everybody in America is rich. Even the poorest in America are rich because of all the safety nets that are in place to catch them. The only reason you don't eat in America is because you don't want to eat. The only reason you don't have clothes to wear in America is because you want to run naked. I mean, maybe you're like King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you've done lost your mind or something. But nobody in America does without food, and nobody in America does without clothing, and nobody in America does without shelter unless they want to unless they want to. Even the poor in America have TV and cell phones. That's why they 
can't eat or buy clothing is because they have TV and cell phones, but still, they have those luxuries. When you serve the poor, it keeps you in touch with reality that, but for the grace of God, I would be there too. This is what the Bible says. Notice what I just said. Listen to what the Bible says. Can I get an amen? Let's listen to what the Bible says. If you want to be happy, be kind to the poor. It is a sin to despise anyone. Say anyone. If you want to be happy, be kind to the poor. Listen to what the Bible says. Whoever mistreats the poor mistreats their maker. This verse tells me that God considers it a personal insult when you diss a homeless person, when you diss a poor person. God says, you're, you're talking about me, you know. God says you honor me when you honor my creation. All of them. Can you say all of them? Listen to what the Bible says. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Let me ask you a question. Do you want God to take care of your needs? If you want God to take care of your needs, let me ask you a question today. Are you taking care of the needs of anyone else? Because the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. This is why we promote small groups. It's hard to know all the needs of all the people all the time, but if we will subdivide up into small groups, study the Word of God together, pray together, pray one for another, then within those small groups as we build relationships one with another, we know when people are in need and we know how they need to be ministered to and how they need to be loved and how they need to be encouraged. That's why we promote small groups here. We need small groups, church. We're having Wednesday night Bible study, and we're dividing up men and women, but we, we need to break up another night of the week, and we need to subdivide up as Hoping Christ Fellowship, and we need, to, we need to form small groups so we can meet needs, so we can recognize needs and meet needs. And then even as we divide up into small groups, wherever you meet in whatever neighborhood you're in, in whatever part of Putnam County or Cumberland County or Overton County you're in, then you can begin to look around you in your community and you can discover the needs of other people and you can reach out and meet their needs as well and share the gospel with them and grow the kingdom. That sounds like a good plan. We just need some participation. God says that's like banking goodwill in the bank of heaven. Let's look at what the Bible says. Leadership gains authority and respect when the voiceless poor 
are treated fairly. Leadership gains authority and respect when the voiceless poor are treated fairly. Do you want to be a leader in your community? Do you want to be a leader at work? Do you want to be a leader in your school? Leadership and respect comes when the voiceless poor are treated fairly. Let's look at what the Bible says. I've left out a verse of Scripture, but Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are perishing. By the way, that would include the unborn because they can't speak for themselves. I'm going to stand on both feet. I'm going to wear my chest back. I'm going to square my shoulders back. And I'm going to declare to you people in this room and everyone listening, abortion is murder. Abortion in any form for any reason is meaningless slaughter of God's creation and it's murder and it's wrong. And people will pay for that. Now, Brother Steve, are you being mean and hateful to people who have had abortions or will have abortions? Not at all. I'm just warning you, please don't murder babies. It's wrong. It's godless. It's satanic in nature. It's serving Satan when you have an abortion. Abortionists are serving Satan when they commit abortions. Everybody understand what I'm trying to say? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are perishing. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are perishing. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. So we are to repent. We're to repent. We're to change our mind and we're to serve the poor. This is the warning that God gives King Nebuchadnezzar. And he totally ignores it. And he totally ignores it. The third thing that happens, write down this third thing. We put off doing what we know is right. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar did. This is the third reason he fell, and it'll be the third reason you fall if you miss the warning sign. We put off what we know is right. We procrastinate, we postpone, we delay, we defer. In verse 28, what are those first three words? Twelve months later. Hmm. What's he been doing? What's he been doing for a year? God says, you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose your mind. What did he do? He's procrastinating. He's delaying. He's putting off. He's forgetting. He's ignoring. He's not changing anything about his life. Let me just say something this morning. This is not arrogant. This is not prideful. You all know I love to preach. I'm serious. I love to preach. But that's not why I preach. That's not why I preach. I preach to warn. 
You need to listen. I'm doing my part. Ain't I? At length, I'm doing my part. Are you listening? Now listen, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Jesus said, him that has ears, let him hear. That means take in the information you receive and do something about it. Do something about it. Let me ask you a question. If tonight when you fell asleep, God gave you a dream and God began to warn you that you're about to lose everything you have, you're even going to lose your mind, would you wait 12 months to act? Are you sure? Right here in this book. It's right here in this book. God says, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you'll, if you'll do this thing, I'm going to continue to bless you. You're going to succeed in life. But if you don't, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man. But the end therein leads to death. So we put off doing what we know is right. Twelve months later, all of what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed did actually happen to him. He was taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And he looked out across the city and he boasted to himself. What's he doing? He's self-absorbently talking to himself. As the words were still on his lips, a voice came down from heaven. This is what God decrees for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your power is being taken away. And you are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. You will be deposed from the palace, ostracized by everyone, forced to live with the, with the wild animals. And immediately it happened. God ain't messing around. God ain't messing around today. God ain't messing around with America. God ain't messing around with Tennessee. God ain't messing around with Hope in Christ Fellowship. And God ain't messing around with you. He lost his kingdom. And he lost his mind. History confirms every bit of this. If there's any doubt in your mind, there was a period of time, we don't know exactly how long he was in this loss. The Bible says, the Bible said he was going to lose it for seven periods. Now, scholars debate the amount of time here. I don't think it really matters. It, seven seasons, which could have been 
less or more than two years. Some people think it means seven years. That would have been a long time, wouldn't it? But what does God do? God, in His love, and in His grace, and in His mercy, He demonstrates His mercy on King Nebuchadnezzar. And after this period of humiliation, whatever amount of time it was, God restored his mind. Aren't you thankful for grace? Aren't you thankful for mercy? Now, now we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is full of himself. He's full of pride. He's full of arrogance. He's full of ego. He's making everything all about himself. God's not pleased with that. God hates that. God hates pride. God hates arrogance. God hates egos. And God said, I'm warning you, you either repent and turn and start serving the poor, start making it about others, or, or you're going to lose your kingdom, you're going to lose your mind, you're going to suffer great humility. And it happened. But in God's mercy, but in God's mercy, Nebuchadnezzar is given opportunity. He's given a second chance, isn't he? Now here's what we need to know. When you've gone through a major failure, what does the road to recovery look like? What are the steps to recovery? When, 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 when he woke up from this, he did three things. He looked up, he woke up, and he spoke up. Let's look at these and we'll finish up this morning. The first thing he did, the first Step of three to recovery after failure is you look up to God. What you should have been doing to start with. It would have prevented the fall. It would have prevented the humiliation. It would have prevented a lot of pain and a lot of anguish and a lot of embarrassment. Verse 34 says, After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity was restored. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, he lifted his eyes toward heaven. That's the first step to recovery in any kind of failure you ever face in life. You lift your eyes toward heaven. You look to God. You look to God. There's some people in this room this morning needs to do that right now. There's people watching by Facebook and YouTube. You need to do that right now. You need to stop dead in your tracks right now. And you need to look to God. You need to look toward heaven right now. And humble yourself. And repent. And surrender your life to God. One hundred percent surrender yourself to God. You're, you're in a mess. You're in a mess. And you know you're in a mess. You know you're going the wrong way. And, and you're looking to other people and you're looking to other things to fix your mess. And here's the problem. Other people are a mess too. And everything around you is a mess. The only thing that's not a mess 
is the God in heaven. The only thing that's not a mess is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that's not a mess is the Holy Spirit. The only thing that's not a mess is the Word of God. You need to look to God if you hope to make any recovery whatsoever. Quit looking to people. Quit looking to things. Look to God. Look to God. Get your eyes on heaven. Refocus. By the way, know this, that sometimes it's God's plan to get you flat of your back so that the only choice you have is to look up. That's a blessing of God. The second thing, Second thing King Nebuchadnezzar did, not only did he look up, but he woke up. Wake up to God's greatness and start worshiping God. Every person on planet earth today is a worshiper. Did you know that? Every person drawing breath right now is a worshiper. Everybody worships someone or something. If you want your life to change, if you don't want to fail, if you don't want to fall, if you don't want to be humiliated, if you don't want to lose everything, wake up to God's greatness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wake up to God's greatness and start worshiping God. Wake up to God's greatness, not your own greatness. Wake up to God's greatness and start worshiping God. Worship simply means set your focus. Worship is setting your focus. Set your focus on God. I've told you this story before. I'll tell you one more time. I'm 27 years old. I'm a knucklehead. Say knucklehead. I had a degree in knuckleheadism. I'm telling you, Dr. Knucklehead, that was my title. Michelle testify. I was a knucklehead when I was 27 years old. I'm not kidding. I was a knucklehead. A knucklehead that God called to preach. Why he ever chose me is far beyond anything I'll ever know this side of heaven. Now, people, I'm not playing. I was a knucklehead. And God called me to preach this book. I had never read the whole book when he called me to preach. I cheated my way through high school. I was such a good cheat, I made the beta club. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I was a knucklehead. Cheated my way through school. Why? Because I was too sorry to do the work myself. I had no interest in education. I wanted to play bass guitar. I wanted to play music. I wanted to travel around and sing about Jesus. I I didn't need an education to do that. I knew how to read, write, and do arithmetic. I was good to go. And God's called me to preach. That'll sober you up. That'll get your attention. 
Michelle is full-blown, nine months pregnant with twin boys. Inside her belly is an 8-pound, 7-ounce kid and a 7-pound, 14-ounce kid. She's got 16-pound of baby in her. She started out at 120. She's now 220. She's the biggest thing you've ever seen in all your life. I had a toy helicopter, remote control helicopter, and for fun, I would land that thing on her belly in the apartment. I mean, you're talking about a landing zone. We'd go out to eat, and she couldn't sit in the booth. We, she, she needed to have them babies. We went to Roses one night just to walk her around to see if we could talk them into coming out. These two old men sitting in the foyer of Roses, whittling and talking, and they look up and see her, and they look up again. One man says, my God, she needs to be at the hospital. I'm talking about two young kids God's calling to preach. My first assignment is Friends Chapel Baptist Church down on the edge of Morgan County. We go down there, borrow a key from Mrs. Austin just to walk in and see this place we're about to go serve God at. I'm pilfering through the building, looking around. And in the very back corner, there's a classroom. And in that classroom is a stack of papers. And I pick up those papers, and I began to funnel through those papers. They're Bible verses written beautifully on paper. And the very one that I picked up first and read first, Michelle had framed for me. It's hanging in my office right now. And here's what that verse said. Matthew 6, 33. Folks, please listen to me this morning. Please. But seek first. Say first. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Did you hear me? We're not seeking God first. Oh, we say we are. How many in this room right now with a show of hands? How many in this room with a show of hands? This past week, from last Sunday till now, you verbally, with your, with your words and with your lips and with your mind and with your heart, how many of you all shared the gospel with a lost individual in the last seven days? Now listen, I... I you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not talking about making a Facebook post. I, I, I'm talking about you had a conversation and you asked an individual, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And you shared with them the plan of salvation and how to become a believer. Now that's sharing the gospel. I ain't talking about being nice to somebody. I I'm not even talking about inviting them to church. See, that's a big problem we have today. We need to quit inviting people to church and we need to invite people to Jesus. 
church is sending thousands and thousands and thousands of people to hell because they think they go to church, they're going to go to heaven. And that's a lie from the pits of hell itself. You don't get to heaven through church. You get to heaven through Jesus. People need to be invited to come to know Jesus. Now, how many of you all told somebody how to get to heaven through Jesus and you explained the plan of salvation to them this week? And we call ourselves Christians. No, we didn't share Jesus because we're too busy making more money. And, and we're too busy building our kingdoms and we're too busy building our lives. And we're too busy worrying about all the things that would be added into us if we would seek the kingdom first. Matthew 6.33 says, Jesus' words in red, look it up. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And we've took that verse and we've reversed it, and we're seeking after the things first, hoping to receive the kingdom of God. And that's the American church. That's why people don't want to go to church with us because we're hypocrites. The parting words of the Lord Jesus Christ was, Go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to practice Everything I've told you. What did he tell the disciples to do? Go fish for men and women, boys and girls. And when he said go fish, he meant go share the good news. Go share the gospel with them. There's only one way to be saved. Does anybody want to take a stab at what that one way of being saved is? You've got to hear the gospel presented so you can believe upon the Jesus of the gospel and be born again. And we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And God is not pleased with us not doing that. And I love you enough to tell you that we're not doing that. In July of 2014, Hoping Christ Fellowship was born and come into existence with 180 plus people at our first service. And we surged to over 200 for a time. And we got prideful. We got prideful because we were successful. We were highly successful, and we got prideful, and we got arrogant, and we got struck on ourselves. 
when we made it about us. Look at us now. So when I study to preach this message today, I'm thinking about us. Because God blessed us with great success and we became comfortable and we became complacent. Everybody wanted a name badge. Remember that phase? Why do you need a name badge? Because you're important? Because you want to attract attention to yourself? There was a time in this church when I was bombarded on a weekly basis of people demanding to have meetings to discuss who was in charge of what. Because they was important. We bought this building. And we did our homework. And we started remodeling this building. And the city of Monterey and the county of Putnam County told us officially, as long as you remodel the inside of that building and you don't attach anything to it, you don't need a permit, you don't need permission, do whatever you want to do. And we couldn't move forward because important people in this church had to have meetings and going behind our backs calling the city of Monterey and calling the county, reporting us for not having permits to work on our building. And guess what they found out? Didn't have to have a permit. But we done knew that. Hope in Christ Fellowship has to change. We have to change. We have to change if we want to survive. We have to make the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is sharing the gospel with lost individuals. If I had a choice today whether to meet here and have church services or go out and tell others about Jesus, I vote we go tell others about Jesus. If we had to choose, if that was the only two options on the table, I'd say suspend Sunday morning services, suspend Sunday night services, and every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, let's go knock on doors and tell others about Jesus. That's what we're called to do. You've got to change, church, or the seats are going to become more empty and the offerings are going to go down and we're going to dry up and blow away. We can't play church. We can't be comfortable. We can't be complacent. We have to be obedient to the Scriptures. 
And the scripture in Jesus' parting words is, go make disciples. And the way you make disciples is you share good news with lost people and God convicts them and God saves them. And then we gather and disciple them and grow them. And the busyness of this church is sharing the gospel. That's the busyness of the church, sharing the gospel. We wake up to God's greatness and we start worshiping God. King Nebuchadnezzar says, My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. We need to regain our sanity. And sanity says we, we can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again hoping for new results. If we just keep showing up here every Sunday morning at 10.30, people are bound to eventually find out we're here and come fill the place up, right? No, that's insanity. King Nebuchadnezzar says, my sanity returned. I, I saw the book. And the book said, go. The book said, go. The book said, go to the highways and hedges. The book said, go to where people are and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell them they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Tell them they're going to suffer in hell for all of eternity if they don't repent and turn to God and receive the free gift of salvation. Tell them how to be saved. Lead them in being saved. Be led of the Holy Spirit. Go out there and make the priority of your life serving Christ, not making money, not building bigger houses and buying newer cars and prettier clothes and savings accounts and retirement accounts and worried about the things of the world. Because that's what we're doing. Can I please get one amen? Because that's what we're doing. What if everybody in this room sold our big houses and bought little houses and took the surplus and spent it on the kingdom? What if we all sold our fancy cars and bought used cars and spent the money on the kingdom of God telling others? about the good news of Jesus Christ? What, what if we all sold our designer clothes and bought Walmart clothes and used the surplus to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others? What if? What if? What if? Would it bring about a revolution in Monterey, Tennessee? Would it? Ask Brother Darrell. He's listened to me all week long. Folks, I'm telling you, ask my wife. Ask my wife. I am so heartbroken. I am. As a pastor, as a, as a Christian, just, just, just me, just when I, when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm so disappointed so disappointed in myself and my allegiance to this book. I'm so heartbroken. 
I'm so heartbroken. Six years ago, my vision wasn't what we are today. I've told you this before. The last thing Monterey needed was another church. It didn't need one. It didn't need another building with a sign out front. It it didn't need another church with a mortgage. It, It didn't need another group of people going through the motions of American Christianity. We've been hijacked. We've been hijacked. And we've taken our eyes off the prize. And I'm really tired. Y'all don't know how tired I really am. I'm, I'm in my 50s. Nebuchadnezzar's in his 50s. And he's dreaming dreams. It's causing him to lose my mind. and I feel like I'm losing my mind. I do. I don't want to play church. And if we need to call this into session this morning and take a vote, I'm all for it. I'm not going to spend my last years on this planet playing church. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. And if that means I stay here and we change, I'm willing to stay. But if that means I have to leave here and do otherwise, I'm I'm willing to do that too. But I'm not going to play church the rest of my life. I'm not going to do it. People are people are dying every day and going to a Christless hell. And we're, we're, having, we're going to church. We're going to church. We're, we're, we're playing the instruments. We're live streaming. We're, hoorah, we're the American church. And what's the fruit of our labors? A mortgage. Insurance, utilities. We have a baptistry in storage that's not been wet in months. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped. Most high God. Christ first. Everything else in its place. And I honored the one who lives forever. Honored him. I didn't go to church, I was the church. My heart broke that lost people are dying and going to hell. And I decided there was more important things in life than paying bills. Souls are at stake. Souls are at stake. Number one cause of death in our town is drugs and alcohol. And Christ is the answer. 
Christ is the answer. And I promise you, they're not going to come to us. We've got to go to them. We get better when we replace pride with praise. We get better in every, every we get better in every area of our lives when we replace pride in ourselves with praise. God. Success is very dangerous. There's a great danger when you experience the blessings of God. You get comfortable. You get complacent. You get in a rut. And everybody knows what a rut is, don't you? A rut is a grave with both ends knocked out of it. Write these four things down and I'm done. God's kingdom is going to outlast everything I do. I go out to my mom's house every week and mow her grass. I love going to mama's house and mowing her grass because I, I get a look over that farm that I grew up on. Next door used to be Grandpa Talmadge and Grandma Porsche. Between their house and mom and dad's house is a is an old barn. Used to be a brand new barn. Used to be a lot of cattle, a lot of pigs go through there. Used to be chicken houses full of chickens. Used to be field full of cattle out there. Grandpa worked hard. He was a coal miner and a farmer, and he worked hard. Grandpa's gone. Cattle are gone. The chickens are gone. The pigs are gone. Well, barns falling down. I'm mowing the grass to take care of my widowed mother because daddy's gone too. I'm going to be gone one day. God's kingdom is going to outlast everything we do. And God's kingdom is going to outlast everything that I do. If you want to make a lasting impact with your life, Bet on the kingdom of God. Bet on the kingdom of God. God's rule is everlasting, and His kingdom is eternal. God did not put you here to build a career. God did not put you here to build a house. God did not put you here to buy a car. God did not 